Well, we have a very good report on behalf of uh, Pastor Brett that he has came through his surgery. By God's grace, he's back home. Had a really good night's rest. For, for that, we thank God, and we're really glad to pass it on to each one of you. This morning, we want to... This morning, during the time we're together, we want to just take this time to look at the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus. And we are going to turn in our Bibles this morning to read from a portion of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. As we begin the message this morning, we desire an interest in your prayers. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest." But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them." As we look into this portion of the Word of God this morning, we are going to see three great messages that the Christian can never forget, no matter where we go in our life. In verses 1 through 3, we're going to see the message of where we were. It is a universal message. It sweeps and leaves no one out. And as we look further down through 4 through 7, we're going to see where we are in Christ as believers. If we have the Lord Jesus Christ, what has happened? And as we look in verses 8 through 10, we are going to see, as Paul is writing to the Ephesians, how we got from where we were to where we are and what God did to make this possible. And it is a marvelous journey. I don't need to tell each of you. Everyone here knows that. All of us have experienced this in some way or another, but also confessing this to you as your servant, all of us forget this great truth. It is easy for it to flee our hearts in the middle of a busy week or a busy month or a busy year or just the busyness of the Christian life. This takes us back to what we call the fundamentals of Christianity. It, goes, it takes us back to the ground level 
core of where all life flows. And here it is that we are called to embrace a truth so marvelous that even no message can fully describe it. No writer can fully get the message. Even as we behold through the word of God the profoundness of this great message, we come up short as we see grace reaching in places we had no idea that grace could ever reach. When I was a young guy uh, in school, I remember one time getting stuck in algebra and stepping out of the class, and I couldn't get the subject well, and I said, I'll take it again. Got a new teacher. And the only thing I remember that was different with the new teacher is as we would move forward in the subject, he would stop and he would say, I want to go back to the basics. And for you to get the next step I want to take you to, we've got to go back to the basics. And this morning, this is really a message that we could call back to the basics. Back to something we can almost say, well, I already got that. I've been a Christian X amount of years. But as we look at it, I believe you'll see with me that each one of us desperately need the grace of God. Have a friend coming here in a couple of weeks, and he'd ask if he could come see us. And I remember the first time riding with him, had a, he was just rescued out of the pit. His name is Don. And Don would look at me and he'd say, you know what, the only thing that saves me from the pit of hell is the, th the, thinder, the thinder thread of the grace of God. And I remember riding with him for like 48 hours, and he must have said that 20 times. Only the grace of God saves me. And it's such a, a, a tin... A, a slender thread that rises up, and yet it is so powerful. The longer you look at this, this portion of the word, the more you look at this great divine truth, you recognize it is the thread that makes the difference in every single life that lives on the face of the earth. But we've got to look at some bad news before we look at some good news. This is what Paul does here. He starts and he says, I'm going to open up the bad news. I want you to get the news that you've got to see before you can see the good news. A lot of times we don't want to be found until we know we're lost. And if you look here, Paul begins in verse 1 and he says, And you, he is writing to the Ephesian church, a group that lived in an area of Ephesus that was full of idolatry and they had just believed. They were very young. They were not as old and mature as a church like this. And he says, And you were dead. Let's stop there for just a moment. He says, remember, church, you were dead. You were actually unable and had no ability to appreciate or comprehend the things of God. You, church, you, Ephesus, you at Calvary, surprise this morning, were dead. And as we think of that, you cannot respond. You cannot even, you have no hope. You have Nothing to live for without Jesus. We all know that. Sometimes we try to grab for something else. If I could just find the right church, or if I could just find the right group of friends, or if I could find the right job, or I could find the right this or that. But here Paul is saying, I'm going to start with a very important truth here. You were dead. This is what he says, and notice he goes on, in your trespasses and in your sins. I believe another translation here says, and you hath he quickened. 
who were dead in trespasses and in sins. And here Paul speaks about the plurality of sin, but later he's going to speak about the singular aspect of sin because sin is the problem. Sin is the separator between God and man. It is the great wall that we cannot ascend. Sin, as Isaiah 59 and 2 said, separates us between us and our God. You are dead in sin. Now we know you can take a verse like Romans 3 and 23, one of the universal proclamations that we find in the Bible that just takes a paintbrush and goes across all mankind. It doesn't miss any corner. It misses no king. It misses no great person. It misses no one. And it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is saying, you are not wise enough. You will never have a job that you are positioned well enough to overcome this great indictment that is against you as an individual apart from Jesus Christ. It is an indictment of condemnation. Pastor Brett took us through this again and again in the book of Romans. But here the apostle is saying, you were dead. And he says, you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. This is a, this is a principle that was taught even throughout the Bible. You can go back into Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. And it will say there, there isn't even a just upon the earth that does good and then doesn't sin. Every person has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Many people try to get there another way. Jesus himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man can ever come to the Father except by me. Isaiah, again, one of those prophets who would write so much about the love of God, the grace of God, the redemption, the messianic book of the Bible would say, we are all like an unclean thing and all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. This is the indictment that stands against us as humans. We try to clean up. We try to say it's not me. But when you go back to the Bible and you look, and this is what Paul was doing, delivering the bad news here. He is saying, I want you to get it because you've got to get this to see the good news. If you miss the bad news, you won't receive the good news. And David was one, the king after God's own heart, after he had sinned. And there he came before the Lord in Psalm 51, and he says, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. David, King David still recognized in the very bosom, the very womb of his mother, he was in sin. And this is such a profound truth that gets so large in so many ways. But Paul then in verse two, he says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He is speaking not only of a position in which we are in as apart from Jesus Christ, but he's speaking about a practical living of a life that is full of indulgence. And we say, no, it can't be last night we dedicated a child here. And you say, hold it, but how about that little child? We, many of us have grandchildren, probably hundreds of grandchildren in this, in this room. And yet, as you look, there is within the heart of man 
this tendency to become very selfish so subtly and so deceptively that the word of God says the heart of man is desperately evil and deceitful above everything. And Paul is saying here, this is the indictment against us. You are not strong enough. You are not connected enough. You, do not, you cannot go to enough right churches or understand the word well enough to ever overcome this indictment that the apostle is giving the, the church. But he has some really, really great news down the road. How many of us have found ourselves in some way or another trying to overcome this indictment? I think of, maybe, maybe you've heard the story of the guy that had some friends and he always was complaining to his friends about that's just the way it is because we were born in Adam. We wouldn't have that problem if, we, if it wasn't for Adam. That's Adam's fault. How do we get that? We got the wrong parents. I wonder how come they're giving it to Adam. His friends got tired of it like we all would. And one day one of them was getting ready to go on a vacation. They asked him to come to their house and take care of the place. So they told this guy, their friend, they said, when you're at the house, you can just make yourself at home, take care of the place. We're going to be gone just a few days, and you can just uh, use everything. But one thing, they said, right up in the top of this one shelf, in the very top, is this little box. Just don't touch the box. Everything else is okay. So they leave, and the guy is walking around, and the first day he looks up at the box. There it is. And the second day, he says, you know, I'll just get a little stool, and I'll put it there where I can see. So he looks, and he sees the box. And the third day, he says, you know, I'll just touch the box to make sure it's a box. <laughs> and the fourth day, he says, I, I'll just shake the box to see if there's anything in there. And he shakes the box. And the fifth day, he decides, you know what? I, I'm, they're not here. I'm just going to open the box. So he opens the box. And inside, all he finds is one little note. It says, you are no different than Adam. <laughs> this is how it is. And this is what Paul is saying. He is, he is writing to affluent people. He's writing to connected people, people in all different cultures. Really, Ephesus was a place of major idolatry. They had the goddess Diana that rose up in the city. And there it was that Paul would teach and he would preach against idolatry in so many ways. But here he comes to a point that says, we all formerly, verse 3, lived in the lust of the, our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and, of by, and the mind. And notice this, we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We got it naturally. We are children of Adam until something amazing takes place in our lives. But remember this truth that we've got to see the bad news before we can see the good news. You know, some of you have children that are struggling, grandchildren, we do. We have people everywhere that are struggling. Until we can see the bad news, we'll, we, we can't receive the good news. It's an amazing truth. 
I don't know, I could, I could ask for a show of hands, but many of you here have been to Niagara Falls. And if you go to Niagara Falls, there is at the top of the falls a, rest, a, a hotel and restaurant that is called the Point of No Return Hotel. And some of you know the story. The reason for the Point of No Return Hotel is because if you are in that water in any kind of a craft or any physical way, and you get going down that river and you come to the place of the Point of No Return, you're not going to get out. There is absolutely no way that it's humanly comprehensible that you can get out of that water at the point of no return. And the only way you're ever going to get out of that is if you're going to be rescued. And this is the truth we're looking at in the gospel here as we're embracing the bad news, getting ready to shift to the good news. But here it is. The word of God says, you've all drifted past the point of no return. You can't get out. You're not strong enough. You're not connected enough. There is no ability to get out. And you're moving towards the falls. Now, in the real sense of the world, we're moving towards destruction. But what is so beautiful is God is the great rescuer. And he is going to show us this truth as we look further. He's going to show us how profound his arm is and how great he can reach and how far he can reach out. And let's look at this together. As we look into verse 4, we're now beginning to look at the good news. The bad news is without Jesus, we're lost. That's the summary. The bad news is without Jesus, we have nothing. But now we see Two little words that make the difference on this indictment. That's just like a life raft that we can, we can throw out or vest to every person here and say, there is hope. We can give it to every person on the face of the earth and say, friend, there is hope for you. There is a reason why you don't have to go over the cliff. And if you notice with me, he says, but God God alone makes the difference, but God, notice this, it is the epicenter of the word of God in every sense, but God, God makes the difference, and Paul was saying, God alone is the rescuer. Here he says, he begins to speak of what his character really is and the attributes of him as a king of kings and lord of lords. But he says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love wherewith he loved us. And as you look at this in the Bible, you realize that all the way back in the book of Judges, chapter 17 and verse 6, there is a passage that's very intriguing as we think of the God. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. They were looking for judges. They were looking for men. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. They wanted to do it their way. They wanted their own king. They wanted something else but God. But right here in the word of God, it says, but God. God makes the difference every time, everywhere, in, in every place. If you notice this with me, you will see that he, he speaks of a couple characteristics of God here. He says, but God being rich in mercy, mercy withholding from us what we justly deserve. 
The truth of the matter is, everyone in this room this morning deserves to go to hell. If we want to get what we deserve, we deserve to go to hell. That's what we get. I can remember the time when the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to me through the book of Romans in, in chapter 4, and he hit me, and God brought me to a place of re- repenting of my own bitterness and realizing everything was a gift. Every single thing, a breath, a little strength, a little job, a dollar in the pocket, you name it. But here he's saying, but God being rich in mercy. I want to turn with you before we go further into where we are to a passage in Titus chapter 3 that beautifully mirrors like a glove this portion of scripture. And we're going to read that just very briefly and come back to this text in Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, to see something that is really important about this truth. And Paul has, is writing here also to, to Titus, his own son in the faith. He says, For we were once our se- for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But, there it is again, when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by his grace, we'd be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life, This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed in God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. God, notice, look at his wealth, mercy, rich in mercy because of his great love, his great love, his mercy, his love that he extends to each one of us in so many, many ways at so many times. Sometimes we look at the prophets of the Bible and we see these guys like they were all just kind of had big rods in their hand and big whips. And sometimes we look at pastors like that. Sometimes we look at God like that. But when we look at the Bible, we see a different picture. Jeremiah 3 and 12 gives us that picture. Here's a really rough, rough prophet spends years down in the mire of a pit. But in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12, there it was that Jeremiah had a commission of God when the Lord said to him, Jeremiah, I want you to go proclaim these words toward the north and say, return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. And he says, I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious declares the Lord, I will not be angry forever. You will find that word gracious or grace over 130 times in the Bible, but it's mentioned in so many other ways and directly and indirectly that it just fills up the whole book. When you take the Bible and you open it, you will find grace and love and redemption and forgiveness and justification and glorification and a living hope. And it's all a part of grace. We're back over here in Ephesians 2 where we're reading where he says, 
Notice this, he says in verse five, even when we were dead and our transgressions made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. You see, when we were running out on the streets rebelling against God, God had not forgotten us. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, he saw everyone in this room and everyone in the world. Every single person, this is the God in which we serve, we love because his love is so amazingly greater. At the greatest place we'll ever love another person, our love is never comparable in any way to the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is amazing truth. He says, when we were dead, when we were just walking in rebellion against God, I was there. You were probably there. If we weren't, we probably didn't know it. And here was God moving in mercy and in love and in forgiveness and compassion. And he's saying, I haven't given up on you. I can remember a time walking out of a church and a pastor, I had long hair and didn't go to church much anymore, raised in a Christian home, knew the word of God, rebelling against God. And one pastor walked up, up to me and looked me in the eye and he says, I believe in you. And I never forgot that. You see, you know who believes in us? There's a, there's a little secret here, a powerful secret that every person here needs to remember and never forget, that God always roots for the underdog. That's why you're here. You're in these doors today because you're the underdog. And this is what the Word of God teaches here when we look at first of who we were. He roots for the underdog. This is who God does. But if you notice, it says, when we're dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And notice what happens. He picks us up. He raises us out of pits. Just like he tells blind men to open their eyes, and he tells Lazarus of the tomb to get out and walk. He does the same with us. This is regeneration. When the Holy Spirit has moved so deeply in your heart that you come to a place that you say, Lord, I'm going to believe in spite of everything else. And notice what it says. He raises us up with him and seats us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The amazing, abounding, miraculous, indescribable love of God is that which is a, a love that never ceases and never fails as long as we are here. David himself in the 139th Psalm says, God, where can I ever go? If I even go up into heaven, you're there. And then he says, even if I go to hell, you're there. You don't give up. I give this to you this morning because somewhere in this room, someone wants to give up. You prayed long enough. You're trying, but it hasn't worked. Maybe personally we're wanting to give up, but God doesn't give up. Notice this. Notice in verse 7, he says that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. Here it comes, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What is grace? You can grab the Bible and look again and again, and you'll see grace at different places, and you'll see it. The law came by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus. Grace is Jesus. 
We may not know how to ever define grace, but grace will always be everything that Jesus is. And when Jesus is within you and you are full of Jesus, that is when grace is flowing from you to other people. The Bible says with great power in Acts 4 and 3, the apostles gave witness of the resurrection. But there's something going on. Great grace was upon them all. God was flowing through them to other people as they gave a witness of the resurrection. And there it was that grace was being multiplied as he moved through people like us to touch the life of someone else with his grace. Some of you here might go, well, you know, because I've been there. You know, I don't know about this grace thing. I know where we were, I can kind of get this, and I know where we are, but I'm not really sure about this whole grace thing. Uh, You know, because it seems like it could be a license to sin. But the grace of God delivers from sin, always. We could look back in Titus 2.11, right? In the preceding verse, and there it is that Titus says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to every man teaching. It also teaches that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The grace of God will deliver from sin. The grace of God will keep us from sin. The grace of God will work in a sinner's heart and bring repentance. This is what grace does. And this is what Paul was writing about. You know, I get a picture of this man being inspired by the Holy Spirit would still say, wow, I don't even know what I'm writing. Because, you know, throughout the ages of human history, men and women have tried to describe this marvelous truth of grace. And they said, how do you do it? Songs have been written. I think of the song that was written that says, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. And it goes beyond the highest star, and it reaches to the lowest hell. And there's another verse there that says, If we with ink could fill the ocean, and the whole sky would be made of parchment, And every stock on the earth was a quill, and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. It's an amazing thing when men come to that place and women, they see the grace of God and they go, wow, how do I speak of this? Paul is probably saying, how do I write to this? But you know, what touched me about that song is the chorus to it was found in a mental institution years later, and they added it. They just pasted that to that song, written by someone who everyone had thought had lost his mind. And there on the wall of a prison cell was the words, O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong it shall forever more endure the saints and angels song. But here Paul is writing about song, the love of God. And he says, notice verse seven, he says, here's the choir, here is the, the church. 
Here is Jesus's bride that in the ages to come, he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. God never makes junk. He makes the best there are. His creation are instruments of his grace, every single one. He sees every person as amazingly beautiful because he looks inside and knows what grace can do in their life if grace can flow through them. This is what Paul was speaking about when he says, you know what he's speaking about? Can you see God boasting in his redemption through this the ages to come that he would show the exceeding riches of grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus? What is grace? Look at John 3.16 with me. We pro- most of us here probably could quote that or we've heard it enough times. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is grace. But this is also grace in 1 John 3 and 1. You see, we can stand back and look at grace But it says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, the riches of his grace that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. You see, the Father has bestowed that that grace on his children. You see, everyone here, we are richer than we can ever conceivably imagine. It, It matters not where we've came from, what our pedigree is, what our job is. The wealth and the riches it has given us in Jesus Christ are indescribable, unexplainable, and unimaginable. And look at this. He says, in the ages that come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. You ever get the picture that grace is just gonna keep rolling throughout eternity? We're going to see the love of God with an incorruptible body. We're never going to get tired. We're never going to grow weary. And we are going to see the surpassing riches of grace and kindness toward us, who through Jesus Christ, we've just read about that. We say, wow, who we were, don't really like that. Got to know it. Who we are, I, I love that. But here's a question. I think we spend our lifetime time to grasp this other truth. How did we ever get from where we were to where we are? How does that work? That something so amazing can take place from darkness to light, from no hope and despair to complete hope, a joy unspeakable and full of glory. The ability for some of you here to get up tomorrow morning and praise God when you don't feel like it. To know if you have been left as a companion, if you're all alone, you have in the Lord Jesus a friend that sticketh closer than any brother. And to know that and to embrace it. And this is what we're going to look at at the end of the message here now is how did we ever get here? It's it's amazing. You know, I think of, uh, we look, and sometimes you've, you've came across things, how did this guy ever get there? How did they ever get there? How did we ever get here? Or whatever happened to, that ever did this? But the story we're talking about this morning is a God's story in every way. We only got here because of him. No other way. 
You say, well, I was raised in a Christian home. I went to church, got plugged in a great church, raised in a Christian home. Some of you were, some of you weren't, don't matter. We all came from the world, the whole bunch of us. There is an indictment that goes across this congregation that misses not one person. We're all worldly until Jesus Christ moves into our life and he changes things for us in the most amazing ways. How did we get there? Verse 8, Paul begins to open up this this journey, this travel in verse 8. Notice this, for by grace you have been saved. He says, grace is the power, grace is the resource, grace is the supply. By grace alone you have been saved, the apostle is writing. And then he says, through faith, but we're going to stop with grace because we stop there and writer after writer have tried to give a definition of grace. Probably the most common that we use often is just the unmerited favor of God toward man, that God would reach out and extend his love to us when we don't deserve it. That's grace. I believe one of the, one of the dictionaries we Bible dictionaries we use often today, Strong's would say that grace is the divine influence upon the heart transformed within the life of the individual. What that's saying is really grace is intended to flow through us. We're not dams. We're not, we're not a great big reservoir. We're like a channel that grace goes through. Other people have just simply said grace is God's love. I don't know what else to say. Grace is, Paul would even speak about the abundant grace that would save him. He couldn't get away from that. Everywhere he went, he was speaking of his grace and the majesty of the Lord. One of the writers today that's written for several years wrote that grace is a provision for man so fallen that he cannot lift the acts of justice, so blind that he cannot see him, so deaf that he cannot hear him, so dead that he, God himself, must open the the heavens up to receive us unto himself. But I I can't even say entirely because it's too big. I believe there are times in every one of your hearts here when the Holy Spirit comes in you, and you know it. You've heard from God. He has ministered to you. He has spoken to you, and you know it's grace. But you cannot even describe that. I believe even as the apostles would go back and try to describe what had happened in the day of Acts, it was so marvelously powerful and majestic that words were going to cheapen the work. And here it is that Paul says, for grace, by grace you have been saved. You got there through grace, but he says through faith. Now let's notice this. Faith is the channel through faith. We grew up in the Central Valley of California, in the breadbasket of the world, in Modesto. My great-grandfather came there, so I grew up as an agricultural guy, finding there was no place for me on the farm, and I went out and did other things, began to preach the gospel. But you know what, what is interesting? If you go into a place like California, a huge area, has millions of acres of some of the most fertile agriculture in the entire world, the only reason it grows is because of the water that goes to it. And you've got to get the water to the crop. 
And so what you'll see is all these canals that are coming from great sources like Shasta Dam and the Maloney's Dam and the Don Pedro Dam. And they're flowing down through the tributaries. They're flowing throughout the entire valley to millions of acres because the only way the source will get there is through the channel. As Paul says, by grace you have been saved through faith. He says, there's a channel that my grace goes through. It goes through a believing heart. It goes through a life and heart that opens to me and says, God, you've got me. I will follow you. I will do what you want me to do. And he says, this is the channel of faith. I believe Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, remember this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. But if you notice Paul is saying, by grace you've been saved, through faith, and we say, okay, I see it's God's grace and it's my faith. Let's, let's go on. Let's get the whole story. We can't, we're we're going to grasp as much as we can take in in the spirit here this morning. And he says, and that, not of yourselves, it's not you. It is the gift of God. You see, there is nothing that we possess that is our own. The word of God speaks of this many times. Nothing we hold and attach is ours. It's given to us for just a moment. If we get a smile from a brother or sister today, it's just a gift. It's just there for a moment. If God gives us a dollar in our hand, it's just a gift from him. It's not ours. It never was ours. The strength that we possess, even to preach the gospel this morning, it's not the strength that I have. It only comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And here Paul says that, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone would boast. I want us to notice something here. The grace of God excludes boasting. Sometimes they'll say, well, God did 99%. I held up my 1% and we became a great team. No. Boasting, Paul says in Romans, is excluded. We're not sharp enough. Sometimes you might think, well, you know, I know how this was, but I was just sharp enough to get a couple good friends here, connect in a good Bible study, heard the gospel. But if you heard the gospel and responded to Jesus Christ, it is only because of the grace of God moving in your heart long before you ever knew. This is what Paul is saying. He wants to flow through faith. There's a channel here through faith, but that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works. It's not because you had a list you completed. Grace excludes boasting. Paul writes through Titus and says, hold it though. I want everyone who believes in God to be careful to maintain good works because they're profitable. But that is grace flowing through us. But not of works lest any man should boast. And if you'll notice through there, he will, he will speak of some more things. But I think of that word faith here in 1 John 5 and 4. It says, whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. God's faith through us. But he gives us the choice of saying, Lord, I believe. And grace begins to flow into the human heart. And it doesn't stop at the heart. It moves on through the life and out into so many different places and ways. 
And he says, the boasting is excluded. There is no boasting in Jesus Christ. You know, I think of the story, we know that most of us know the familiar story of Jonah. He ran from God. He went down to Tarshish away from God. He took the boat. He got in the boat. There was a storm. He was thrown over, overboard. There he, the, the big ships, big fish swallows him up. He goes out on the ground. He gets out of the, up back on the ground. He goes back down, obeys the word of God, and goes to Nineveh. But now Jonah had a message from God. And that message was, salvation is of the Lord. That's it. There is no other message. There is no other concept. There is no other philosophy. Salvation is of the Lord. Where we were, where we are, and how we got here, not of works. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. We are his workmanship. We are his handiwork. The word workmanship is, is a word that's interesting. It is a puama. We are his masterpiece. We are God's handiwork. We are God's beautiful palm. We are God's piece of artistry that he revels in and glories in through his son, Jesus Christ. This is who we are. And if you look at this together, you'll see that... Uh, uh, as we're looking at this, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You see, grace is intended to do something within us. It is intended to change us. You cannot see this truth and embrace it by faith without claiming something so important that I now get, get the blessed privilege of serving with the children of God, the people of God for the rest of my life created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Notice this, which God had before prepared that we should walk in them. You see, God doesn't waste grace. He doesn't just save us and put us in a little chair. He saves us and calls us to a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his most divine and majestic grace. And this is what Paul is getting at. How did we ever get to a place like this? Through grace, by grace through faith not of ourselves, no boasting, not of works, but we're his workmanship. Now we boast in the Lord because he begins to work through us to his glory. We are his masterpiece flowing, he flowing in us and through us to other people. You know, we're going to have communion this morning and we're going to take a little time, just a little time out of our life for communion, but I want to tell you a story that took place in the year of 1725. It began. It began in England with a young little child that was born into a home of a mom and a dad that loved him deeply, but the mom died just a few years later. And there it was at eight years old, this little guy was shipped off into West Africa. And there it was, was he's going to be where his dad was transporting slaves back into England by ship. But he'd already become rebellious, so they left him in West Africa. And that's, that little guy was there trying to live in West Africa, and they took him and they made him a slave. But they made him more than a slave. They made him a slave of the slaves. And for three years, he lived in a house of a woman who treated him so bad that she would throw his food in the floor and he would have to eat it off the floor. He fled to the coast of Africa three years later and he built a fire 
trying to get help. And as he was building that fire, a ship was going north and it looked and it saw a fire. And the ship stopped. It brought someone over there. And there it was that this young man was crying out for help. And the ship master said, you can come into the ship. And he went into the ship. Yet he was a rebellious guy. And he caused all kinds of trouble in that ship so much that he was tossed overboard in the wrath of the captain. And there it was down in that in, uh, in, overboard, that captain speared him out and brought him back in the ground. And he dumped him down in a hold of that ship. What a messed up life this man had. But you know his name. And if you don't know his name, you know the song that God wrote through him. The song is Amazing Grace. And his name is John Newton. And John Newton, shortly before he died, he wrote these words. He said, really, he says, I am not what I ought to be. How imperfect and deficient I am. And I am not what I wish to be. And I, have not even, I am not even what I hope to be. But this is what he said. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's who you are too. You've been rescued and redeemed. You've been given a chance by his grace one more time as you've walked in these doors to praise him. And as our, our band is singing this song, Amazing Grace, I want you to think about what we're going to go into together as we enter into the presence of the Lord one more time to partake of his emblems and claim, Lord, how much I need your grace. <laughs>